All right, guys, we are back with our teaching in the book of Revelation. Last time we were here, we were dealing with chapter five, but I made a slight break and I did a somewhat extended study on exactly what is the tribulation. And I defined that as the judgments that God will be bringing upon the entire world as God himself is focused at is reestablishing his dealing with the nation of Israel, with the Jewish people in what we call that final week of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And so this final week, and we know that the week um, is understood as a seven year period. And this is God dealing with the Jewish people during this seven year period. And the idea is simply to bring them into repentance. But at the same time, there are other things that are going on in conjunction with these series events. So not only will he be bringing in the repentance of the Jewish people, when I say the repentance, it's not just simply the repentance of their sins, but also their receiving of Jesus specifically as the Messiah. So not only will God be doing this with the Jewish people, as well as using the Jewish people for their preordained purposes. And we'll see that in Exodus chapters 19 and 20, when God had chosen the Jewish people as a priestly nation. And again, we see that same concept in Abraham. That is the very origin and source for the choosing of the Jewish people. How God said to the Jew, to Abraham, that in you as well, in your seed, all the families, that's the Gentiles, of the earth would be blessed. So God had chosen to channel the blessing of salvation through the Jewish people. That's what you see in in Genesis chapter 12, choosing Abraham, from him comes the Jewish people. In Exodus chapters 19 and 20, God coming into a covenant relationship with the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, to set them apart so that they may be a priestly nation to minister to all of the world. But we know that they failed in this because of their disobedience. But during the tribulation, as we will see, not in this coming chapter, but in chapter seven, that the Jewish people will begin to fulfill that preordained purpose of being a priestly nation unto the Gentiles. Okay, but nevertheless, Go back and look at that teaching that I did on explaining exactly what is the tribulation and why. So let us move on. So we, the last time we were here, we were talking about the whole issue. You got chapter four, the presentation of the throne room of God. And then finally, we have that scroll that is being presented from the hand of God. That scroll, again, is nothing more than revelation of future events, but no one was found worthy to reveal such future events until we have the introduction of Jesus pictured as the slain lamb of God. That idea of being slain lamb of God brings about his self-sacrifice, Jesus willingly offering that body to be sacrificed for the sins of the world to provide redemption for everyone who will believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But nevertheless, it is because of this, we see that worthiness that is exalted, uh, that, that is praised concerning Jesus in chapter five. And he now being the only one worthy to receive the scroll, the revelation from, from the hand of God. And then there is praise to Jesus, to the lamb, and there is also joint praise, both to God, he who sits on the throne, and the lamb. And we end chapter five with that series of praises to God, all right? And so now we get to chapter six, dealing with the scroll, the revelation of the scroll, which simply is nothing more than the opening of the scroll that was in the hand of God revelation of things to come. And this, this event, as we said last week, and I, 
as I said in that last video, that scroll is nothing more than the series of events. And these are judgments from God to an unrepentant and rebellious world. And these are the things that will be unfolding during a period of seven years. And that's why we call it the tribulation. And that seven year period can be divided into three and one half years. The first three and a half years we are about to deal with now. Okay. And the latter three and a half years will be referred to as the great tribulation. And we'll deal with that as we move through the text. But let us just begin in chapter six, as we begin to open, that is Jesus himself begins to open one seal at a time to reveal the future events, judgments that are taking place in the world. Revelation six, verse one. Then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with a voice of thunder, come, and I looked and behold a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and the crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. So when Jesus opens the first seal, there is the invitation from one of the four living creatures. And we remember that around the throne of God, there were these four cherubim and the voice of one cries out with a great voice an invitation for John to see what is taking place when Jesus shows what's going on at the opening of this seal. And what we have is a revelation of a man on a white horse. Now, this particular figure is not Jesus. You'll see Jesus being on a white horse, Revelation chapter 19, in the revelation of the Messiah, but there is a difference. Jesus is wearing what is called a diadem. The diadem is a royal crown. This particular rider is wearing a Stephanus. This is the crown or the overcomer's crown. And that's why it says he conquers in this manner. This figure is the Antichrist. And what is interesting at this point is this, how that in the very first seal, the revelation, the first thing that is depicted is the person of the Antichrist, which lets us know he becomes the key noted figure during this particular time. And so that's the whole concept here. The Antichrist as during the whole seven years is the key figure to the events that are taking place during this time. It is the Antichrist who will come later, as we will see, who will set up an entire world kingdom. In, in a, in a, and this is what's taking place here. And I don't want to get into the details. That's another teaching. Maybe we'll talk about that as we talk about one of the uh, prophecies in the book of Daniel, how the Antichrist will set up his kingdom over the whole world because the world itself will be subdivided into 10 separate kingdoms. The Antichrist will be one of those rulers of that kingdom. He will rise, destroy three kingdoms, and the remaining seven will yield their powers to him, and therefore he will become the king and ruler over the entire world. So what we see happening in verses one and two is the rise or the ascending of the Antichrist to power. And he is pictured as one riding on a white horse with a bow. And that's that idea of the bow. He, he does what? He conquers and continues to conquer. So that's his rising to power, conquering the nations. All right. And again, what's also interesting, too, before I leave this segment is the crown was given to him. Two things that I bring to your attention. Number one. It is through the permission of God that he is allowed to come to power. That's the first thing. It is by the sovereign permission of God because nobody can do anything except God permit him 
to do so. So that's number one, because God rules over all things. But number two, and I think just as important when it talks about what is given, and we'll talk about this in greater detail as we work our way through uh, Revelation, notably chapter 13. The power that is given to the Antichrist will actually be given to him from Satan himself. If you can recall in the temptations of Jesus, when Jesus was baptized, Holy Spirit had driven him into the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan. One of the temptations that Satan presented to him was that Jesus, he asked Jesus, he said, worship me. That is worship, worship Satan as if he were God. And if Jesus would do so, Satan said, he would give him the authority to rule over the kingdoms of this world. Jesus rejected that offer of Satan. And notice what Satan said, because it is given to me to give it to whomsoever I choose. Jesus rejected that. The Antichrist, there will come one who will be, who will, that is the Antichrist, he will accept Satan's offer. Satan will make this offer to him. He'll accept it. And therefore, Satan will grant him the authority over the nations. And this is what's going on. I shouldn't have gotten there, but I kind of want to give you guys a preview of how the Antichrist will rise to power. His rise will be permitted from God by God the Father. But that rise to power will be aided supernaturally by Satan himself. And that's what we see verses one and two, the first seal. And it is a, a notable event because he will become the key figure in the tribulation period. OK, let's continue to the second seal. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come. And another red horse went out and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth and that men should slay one another and a great sword was given to him. So now we come to what, what many call the second horse of the apocalypse. The first one was a white horse and now the second one we see is a red horse and this red horse of the apocalypse is the symbol symbolizes war and that's what we see taking place and it and notice there is also a relationship of events with the breaking of the seals the antichrist rises one who conquers and conquers he begins to make war what do we see with the second seal war itself but the idea is it is basically war as a whole and peace that was once in the world. And that's what we see in Paul's talking in the book of Thessalonians. When Paul says, when they say peace, all of a sudden peace is gone. Peace is shattered. Peace is broken. So the Antichrist comes riding on a white horse, pretending to bring peace to the world. But in reality, he brings world, he brings worldwide war. And that's what we see. We see war in all the world. Peace is taken away from the whole world and war is distributed amongst all the nations of the world. And that's why we see, and it was granted to take peace away from the earth itself. And then he said, and from war, war was to the extent that there was a great sword given to this rider. And that's just simply the idea of in war, there was a lot of killing. So the second horse of the apocalypse, the red horse, is war itself. And it is worldwide. And that is the scope of war. The scope of war. War is everywhere. And there, has been, there is no peace to be found. Let's continue to the third seal as Jesus may, gives us a revelation of what happens on that one. Five, when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, come. I looked and behold a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius 
and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not damage the oil and the wine. Now, in the third horse of the apocalypse, we see a black horse and the black horse is a representation of famine. Now, remember what I've been saying to you guys, how we can see a result is like first is the Antichrist false peace, but then he begins to make war. First seal, second seal, all the war that follows behind. Third seal, now the famine. So it's almost like a result, cause and effect relationship in a way that we can see what's happening with these particular events. So as a result of war, we can also see an issue of famine taking place because of all the war. But not only, and, and but now that's not to say the only reason why we're having famine is because of the war. That's not it. I'm just simply saying there are causes and effects relationships in these events. Famine can also be because of certain natural, we call it natural disasters. Now we know that during the tribulation, there won't be any natural disasters. All of these things are taking place because of God's judgment to the world. So famine will not only be because of war, but also because of natural disasters that are taking place in the world. So when you combine all of these things, it only exacerbates the famine. It just makes famine all the worse. You got the natural disasters, you have all of the wars, life, see what's going on is this, slowly and more, but actually it's not that slow because it's only a period of seven years. These things are happening faster and faster and faster. And that's what you'll see in the text. But the point is, it's making life become unlivable, untenable. It's very difficult to live under these conditions. Remember what Jesus said, and maybe I'm a little premature again, but Jesus said, except those days had been shortened, no flesh would survive. And Jesus was giving a direct reference to the time of the tribulation, even more specifically, the great tribulation. He said those days had to be cut short. He's not talking about the daylight hours. He's talking about the length of time or otherwise no human being could survive through this period. And Jesus is not using an exaggeration. But nevertheless, let's go on back. So there is great famine that has taken place, natural events, war is taking place, right? And that's what is represented by the, 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 the black horse and the scales. He's holding the balance of scales. And scales was simply used to weigh out things. So what he means is, because of famine, it creates scarcity in certain things, and we'll talk about that, a scarcity in certain things that are necessary for survival. And those things that he brings about are wheat and barley, okay? So notice what he says. He said a quart of wheat for a denarius. Now, the idea of, first, let me talk about this. A denarius was basically a day's wage. It was a, the average day's wage for an average worker. So for an average day's worker. And it says for the average daily wage, you can only purchase, notice, a quart of wheat. Now, according to the times, we basically estimate anywhere from roughly, these are rough estimations, 10 and maybe almost as much as 15 times as much. That means that the famine is so great that, okay, let, let me say it this way. A, day, a day's wage used to be able to buy 10 quarts, 10 to 15 quarts of wheat. Now a day's wage only buys one quart. That means 10 times the amount. Inflation has increased tenfold. Now, then he talks about this whole issue of barley. This is for the cheaper food. So if you couldn't get the wheat, of course, and you poor, you're going to buy the next, the substitute, which is the barley and the, and the barley, you can get it for three as three times, three, 
in the volume amount because the quality was less. You can get much more, but even then you could still only get for a day's wage only three quarts of barley. So the whole point that the writer is trying to make is that because of famine, you have inflation increasing tenfold. So, and for the average person, they cannot survive. They can't live under these conditions. You cannot feed your family in this mindset. So you, see, okay, what I want you guys to feel is things are just getting worse and worse and worse. And now you got a famine that's hitting the average person. Think along those lines. The average person and they what we may call middle-class people. They can't even afford to go to the store and get a decent loaf of bread for a dollar, two dollars, or three dollars anymore. $24 for a loaf of bread. Now that's amazing just to think about that. But nevertheless, so famine has hit, causing a shortage of supply of food for the average person, but then he makes a, a somewhat cryptic statement at the end. Do not damage the oil and the wine. There are two basic ways that you can understand it. Oil and wine from the sense of a medicinal purpose. If it is to be understood this way, the idea is that even during these times, medicine will still be in adequate supply. We will have an adequate supply of medicine. So it won't be a shortage of that if it is to be understood in that. However, there is another way to understand it, and this is the proper interpretation, I think, of those verses as it relates to the context here. Oil and wine are always, I'm sorry, can be understood as symbols of luxury. Notice the oil and the wine. Now, the oil has basic usage in everyday things, but when combined in the concept, idea of oil and wine, these are things that are afforded or that can be easily afforded by the rich. And that's what I think the text is talking about. So what's going on with the average people? They are going to suffer during these particular times because of famine and they can barely buy the food that they need to eat. But concerning the rich people, the wealthy people will not be affected by such things. And even so, luxury items for the wealthy will be in demand by them and there will be more than enough adequate supply. So what, what you'll have is the gulf between the average people. Average people will not be able to survive, but the very wealthy people will be doing well and flourishing during this time. But nevertheless, it'll still be an awful time for the world at large. Okay. All right. So now, now we have that first seal. I'm sorry. Yes. The white horse, the second seal, the white horse being the introduction of the antichrist, the second seal, the the introduction of war world wars, the third seal famine by natural disasters, as well as causative effect of so much warring going on in the world. And now let the Lord, let us look to the Lord's opening of the fourth seal seven. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come, I looked and behold an ashen horse and he who sat on it had the name death and Hades was following with him and authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Okay, so now we open up the fourth seal. Remember that same idea that I've been saying, that cause and effect, right? The Antichrist, it can, brings war. War, you're going to have a lot of killing and death. Famine, you're going to have a lot of what? Killing, death, and people dying from sickness and disease because of malnourishment. And so naturally, look at that fourth seal, death, death. So Jesus opens the fourth seal and there is that it says ashen horse. The word here in Greek is chloris and chloris means kind of like a green look. So the idea is he has that pale look 
of death. And it makes a lot of sense since the, since he's called what? Death and Hades. Now, Hades simply means the grave or the underworld. So the whole issue of the fourth seal is death, massive death. And, and, and nothing more to say about that. And so it says that the authority was given over the fourth part of the earth. It simply means that 25% of the world's population at that time died as a result of all of the wars of the famine and the things that were taking place. If you look at that, guys, that is astronomical. Think about what God is saying in this event. And now here's what you have to keep in mind again. You're at the very opening of the tribulation. You're you just only at the first three and a half years of it. And already 25%, the population of the world is like what? 7.6 billion as of the making of this video, which means that you got about 1.9 billion people are now dead. And notice what it says, killed through the sword. That means because of war. Killed by famine. Remember all the famine that we're talking about? Well, the results of natural uh, uh, things that are happening in the world, all kinds of famine. We see that even now. Or because of the war, pestilence. Pestilence simply, and it's literally, that word literally means death in the Greek. He uses the term death. That just simply means because of sickness, disease and every other thing. It means just it, people dying from all kinds of things. And that's why I use the term here, pestilence. But the actual word here in Greek literally is death itself. All right. And so you got what? The war, famine, all kinds of sickness and diseases. And then at the final part, it says, and from the wild beasts of the earth. That means, see, that's again, that's, that's what lets us know. These disasters that are taking place, natural disasters, wars and things that are happening are driving animals from their natural habitats and the natural uh, things that animals normally eat that are available to them in the wild is being destroyed. So everything, the ecosystems of the world for the natural habitats of the animals are being destroyed. The animals now are being driven into areas populated by people and the animals are now attacking and eating people. Now, here's the thing that I want you to catch right here. It is becoming so commonplace for animals to attack people that the scriptures mention it, that animals are now eating people as a common thing. So the, do you see it's getting worse? It, it's the wars, the famine, people starve. And now you got the word, you, you leave in the house and a, a, a wild a animal might attack you and literally eat you. It, it's a difficult place to live. But guess what? We are still not even near, nowhere near how awful things are going to get. But let's continue. And that's just the fourth seal. And there are still three left. And after the seal, you have what? The trumpet judgments. And okay, okay, I'll take you, I'll slow it down. The trumpet judgments. And then after the trumpet judgment, you have what we call the vile or the bold judgments. The way you understand it is each series of judgments escalates and become exponentially worse. So if you think the seals are bad, the trumpets are going to be awful. And if you think the trumpets are awful, the bold judgments will become excruciating where the world cannot stand it. And then the word of Jesus will be fulfilled. If he doesn't stop it right then, everybody will die. Everybody. And that is the very idea of the tribulation. That's why it's called tribulation. It's not used that term for nothing. It is the trouble this world has never seen. And Jesus said, we'll never ever see again. It's just too bad. But let's continue until the fifth seal. Nine. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those 
who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. They cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Okay, so when Jesus opens the fifth seal, now this time we don't hear any one of the four creatures saying, come and see. It just simply says, there he is taken to the altar. And let me explain it. I slow it down again. John now is translated to the temple of God which is in heaven. There is a, a heavenly temple. We learned that in the book of Hebrews. Of course, we can't go through all that particular information right now, but there is a temple in heaven. And that's why God was saying unto Moses to make the tabernacle of the wilderness according to the exact pattern that God was giving him because the tabernacle in the wilderness given to Moses in the law was patterned after the tabernacle, or should I say the temple of heaven? All right. And so therefore the, the altar of incense, and we don't have time to talk about the particular items or vessels of the tabernacle, but the, the, <laughs> it's that information that you need to know. It was simply a particular alt, uh, uh, item that was made out of pure gold that was in the tabernacle in a place called the most holy place. It, it was in front of the curtain to the most holy place. And it was a place where the priest would come in and he would fill this particular item up, the altar of incense, and it would burn this incense and the smoke would go up before the curtain of the holy of the most holy place behind the curtain of the most holy place was the ark of the covenant, which had the cherubims over that ark of the covenant. And it was there that God manifested the Shekinah glory of God. The glory of God's presence was manifested. And so there in front of that curtain in front of God, where God himself was in the tabernacle, this altar of incense, the smoke going up, it represented the prayers of the people of God going up. And so that's the idea that's taking place here. So John is translated to the temple of heaven. And there at this altar, the altar of incense in heaven. And so notice the idea of the souls of those who were slain and their request to God. This speaks of the prayers of the saints going up to God. And that's why we see them at the altar of incense in heaven. All right. So, and also now let's identify these particular people. It said these were the souls of people who have been slain because of the word of God. Now let's back it up. The rapture of the church has already taken place. These are events that are taking place after the rapture. Remember what you have to remember is once the church is raptured, there are no more saved people in the world. Everybody is a sinner. There are no saints in the world. So you have to ask yourself, well, then, and, and, and before I get there, these are people who are killed during the tribulation and they were killed as the scripture says, because of their testimony. That means they were saved. So the question becomes in your mind, how did these people get saved? When did these people get saved? What was going on at this particular time? We're going to reserve the time for answering that in detail. But what it lets you, what it does let us know is this during the tribulation, 
there will be a great number of people being saved. And we'll see that even in the next chapter, a great number of people that are being saved. Okay. So after the church is raptured, and even though there are no, no other people, peoples in this world saved, Jew nor Gentile, there will come a time when people will convert and become believers in Jesus. Okay. And so these people will be killed. So I tell you what, I'll slow it down just a little bit to give you guys more explanation to what's taking place. They are killed because they are Christians. What we are going to find out is this in Revelation chapter 17, the, what, what should I say? The, the, it, is, it is, it is, I don't want to say the, uh, the proper way to say it, the world religion, the world religion. I say, say, I don't want to call it the church is not the proper name. You will find that there will be what is called a harlot riding on the back of a beast in Revelation 17. This is the false world religious system. This is not the church. This is a false world religious system. And it is, it will be this false religious system that will persecute true Christians. And, and I know it's premature, but to give you an understanding to what's going on, I have to dip into it a little bit. So you'll see why these people have been killed and are in heaven at the hand of uh, uh, pleading for God to take vengeance. Okay. So the world religious system has killed, persecuted and killed true saints of God. And, and that, that's the idea. And the antichrist is allowing this to happen. That's why it says that the harlot, the, the beast is allowing the harlot to ride on his back because it serves his purpose too. We know Revelation 13, that the Antichrist, did Second Thessalonians chapter 2, determines that he alone should be God and worshiped as God. So it's fine for him to allow the false religious system to kill the Christians, true believers. If anything, the devil wants to always get rid of is true believers. And even later on, we'll find out that the Antichrist is going to turn against the false religious system of the world. Or in other words, the scriptures teach that the harlot that's riding on the back of the beast, God would set it in the heart of the beast to turn and kill the harlot herself. That is the false religious system because the Antichrist will have no other rivalry to his being God and worshiped as God. But nevertheless, let's go back again with that understanding that with all of these events, we see there has been a revival in the world to an extent, to a certain a limited extent, and people have gotten saved. And, and we'll talk about that even more so in the next chapter, but they were persecuted and ultimately they were killed. So here we see martyrs. These are the martyrs that come out of the tribulation. And in verse number 10, all they are doing is asking is justice. They're asking God to give them justice because the peoples of the world willingly participated in murdering them simply because they were believers that Jesus is the Messiah. That's why it is so, and I was I'm, in my mind, I'm kind of hoping you guys catch on to a lot of these things. Believe what the Bible is saying. It is so important. Now, as I'm speaking now, the church is still here. The rapture has not come. But when these events do come after the rapture of the church, if you want to live for now, if you don't live for Jesus to hell, you go ultimately to the lake of fire. You go forever and ever thrown away from the presence of God to suffer for all eternity. That's the bottom line. But 
if you do desire to live in the presence of God and enjoy the glories that God has for those who believe, do so now before the time of the rapture. Why? Because after the church is gone, you will you're going to die. For the most part, you're going to die. Very few Christians will actually survive the tribulation. Okay, they are going to kill you just because you trust Jesus for yourself. Can you can you imagine that? That just because you believe in Jesus, the world wants to kill you. But if you don't believe in Jesus, it is worse than that for eternity. You have to make that choice. So choose God now. Choose Jesus now. You see why that makes a difference, but nevertheless. So God, in a sense, placates them with these white robes and notice what he says to them. He says to wait a little while. Now it says in the English until the number of their fellow servants, but that's not what it says in the Greek about the number of their fellow servants. Actually, he says, wait a little while until what shall be fulfilled, the fellow service of you. Let me just say it in the English so we can get it properly. Wait a little while until your fellow servants are also killed like you are killed. Now, he didn't say a particular number. So there's a, that's a little interpretation on the parts of uh, the NASB. But the point of what he is saying is this. They want... God to give them justice, judge the people who are responsible for their murders simply because that they are believers. God says, I'm not going to give justice to you yet because there are still Christians who will be killed even later. But he says, wait a little while. So that lets us know that this tribulation is not a long period of time. How long again, guys? Only seven years, okay? And we are now at just the beginning of these things. But nevertheless, the point of emphasis is you are, notice you got a great number of them killed and he says, God lets them know, but there are still many who are to follow. So this thing is gonna get awful for people who are believers. Okay, let's go to the sixth seal and wrap this up. I look when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth, made of hair. The whole moon became like blood. Stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves among the rocks and the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? Okay, I want to talk about that. Let me take my time a little bit, God, to talk about that. So we've had the Antichrist, he comes. He stirs up war. We've had famines come, followed by massive death. Then we had all of the persecution of Christians that are following. The scene is getting worse. Life is difficult to live. And in the midst of all of that, remember all of the family, it's just an absolute mess. Now we have natural disasters gone crazy. Notice there is a great earthquake. He is not saying that there is just a slight trembling in California. Mm -mm. He says that this earthquake was to the magnitude. Notice what it said now that it moved the mountain. Look at verse number 14. Every can, I cannot imagine the earth shaking that much. Every mountain and every island. Do you, do you guys know how many islands it is in the world? Every island was moved out of its place. 
the tectonic plates of the earth shifted to such a degree that every mountain in the world, every island in the world shifted. Now, can you imagine when this shift began to take place, it, it almost started to tear the place apart. So that's the idea. The world seems like, I, I like this. I really like this. The world is tearing itself apart. Not Let me take it back. The world ain't doing a doggone thing. God is tearing this world apart. He's shaking the cities. He's shaking the mountains. He's shaking the island. He is saying, listen to me. Repent and turn from your wickedness. Can you imagine? Can you imagine somebody taking him just shake, 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 shake? And so God has taken the world itself in his holy hands and shaking this place, hoping that somebody will wake up. To the point, notice, I like this, and I'm gonna be a, let me do a little skipping. Where we have the rich people, people are now hiding in caves in the rock. Amazing. I cannot imagine that. I can't imagine, I cannot fathom that, that people began to live in caves, trying to hide all of the stuff that's taking place, hoping the, the world is falling down all around. Can you imagine rich people abandoning their beautiful, lovely homes and living in a cave? Ain't no electricity in no cave, man. There's no bathroom in a cave. Where are you going to go to go use the bathroom? Think about that. Think about all of the luxuries that we afford ourselves in normal day-to-day -day life. And now look at people living in caves. Caves. Do you believe the scripture? Do you take God at his word? I do. But let me just back it up a little bit. So that's the earthquake. Then he said the sun. So now we have a solar eclipse. This is another one of those eclipses. I cannot admit, he said the sun was darkened and that it became black as sackcloth. That means you couldn't see nothing. <laughs> God help us all. Can you, okay, let me tell you what's going on in one word, fear, fear. I mean, fear that you cannot believe. So in the middle of daytime, there is no day. Then at nighttime, you're hoping and praying maybe you'll have light from the moon. Uh-uh. The moon is the, that's the weirdest thing in the world. He said, all of a sudden you got a blood moon. The moon became red like, so you got a solar eclipse that blocks out life from the earth or to the earth, I'm sorry, to the earth. And then at night you didn't get much of light. The moon looks like blood. And, and so, and all of a sudden you got this earthquake and now, and the reasons for the eclipse of the sun. I don't know. I don't know. I, we, we don't know whether the, the, in the great earthquake, there created some volcanic eruption of the sort. And that put a lot of black soot into the air. I don't know. God didn't go to the details to explain to John the one plus one plus one. He just, John is just simply seeing all of these things from snapshots of what's going on. He just sees huge earthquake and everything has fallen down just about. Mountains and islands and it's a mess. And then he looks in the sky. He said the sun has gone out. He looks at nighttime. The moon is all of a sudden. John said this is cataclysmic that's going on. And so now, do you feel the tribulation now? It is cataclysmic falling all apart. Now you see, look at verse number 14, the sky being split and rolled up. What, what is that? So now you natural disasters, tornadoes, hurricanes, the sky split, all kind, everything imaginable. The world is being ripped apart. What does it look like when God said the sky split as if rolled up? How do you roll up the doggone sky? Now, some of y'all tell me that. How do you roll up the sky? 
John says, I don't know. It's just the atmospheric, whatever it is gone completely crazy out there. Then he says, notice, now my verse number 15. I like that. And let me close this thing up. Remember, there was a distinction that was made earlier during the great famine. Remember, the poor people could not buy bread because uh, 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 for a day's wages, remember, for the for the wheat or for the three quarts of barley, they couldn't survive. But the wealthy had the oil and the wine. They could survive. it. But let me tell you something. God kicked that thing in the full force and nobody is able to survive what's taking place now. Notice verse number 15. The kings, these are political rulers. And the great men and commanders, these are military rulers. The strong, these are people who may have wealth. The slave, uh, that speaks for itself. And the free men from every social status of people. There were no, there was nobody who was unaffected by the events taking place in this world. The world was being ripped apart, shaken apart, torn apart, and people were living in abject fear. And that's the last part, 16 and 17. How fearful were they? They said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. In other words, people were willing to be, remember, they went and hid in the cave. That's where they were hiding. They said, they looked outside to what was going on in the world, in the atmosphere and everything else. They said, we'd rather just simply die by these rocks falling on us and kill us. Give us a quick death. Give us a quick death. So ain't it is insane. You got war. You got famine. You got disease. You got earthquakes. You got and now people don't know what to do and they are now wishing for a quick death. But now here's also what's important too. They know who is causing these things. They said what? Hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. So they know that it is God who is causing these things. Now, here's the thing that I want you to see. As a whole, it says something about man. There is no instance, no evidence that mankind is repenting. And that's the sad thing. In all of the hardness and impenitent nature of the human heart, in all of the judgments that God is bringing, and they're living in absolute fear. Where do you see them saying, forgive us, oh Lord, we know we have, you don't see none of that. They'd rather wish for death than repent. Something is wrong with that. But now you will have a number of people come to their senses and repent. Notice we even see some of them already at the altar in verse number 12. I'm sorry, those who were sitting at the altar, uh, 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 verse number nine. Some of them are already there, but for the human race as a whole, they are they remain unrepentant. But bring it out. 17, for the great day of the wrath has come, who is able to stand? Now, let me deal with that last part. Who is able to stand? That's a question that is reserved for Chapter seven, we will find out who is able to who is able to stand simply means this during all of the judgments that God is bringing on the world, who will be able to survive all of these things? See, that's you see the question. And that's why chapter seven is such a beautiful chapter as well. Who will survive the tribulation and Prematurely, it'll be the 144,000 Jews are guaranteed to survive the great tribulation. Many will die. And as we see already, it says 25% have died in war. 1.9 billion people are already dead. So they are wondering, will anybody live through this? Answer, yes, those whom God has chosen to survive. Chapter 7, 
those whom God has sealed. And that's the idea of the seventh seal. The seventh seal is the interlude, the sealing of the 144,000 Jews. And we'll explain that even further when we get there. But let me finish for chapter, verse number 17. In all of these events, what they said is this, as they were in fear of their lives, for the great day of the wrath of the Lamb has come. That lets us see, that notice, remember what I said, the tribulation is divided into two periods, first three and a half years, second three and a half years. It is the second three and a half years that is what we call the great tribulation. The reason, and I bet you can figure out now why it's called the great tribulation. Remember what I told you, and you're in the seals. We're in the sixth seal, getting ready for the seventh seal. From the seventh seal will come the trumpets. It comes out of the seventh seal. From the seventh trumpet will come the seven bowls. But remember, each time one of these uh, classes of judgments are revealed, is revealed, it is a worse judgment that comes up. So it exponentially gets worse and worse. You have only been dealing with the first three and a half years and look how awful things are now. Just during the first three and a half years, people in caves wanting to die and notice what they say. We, we don't even know who can survive this, but the point that I'm driving here is the great day of the wrath has come. Now, we are now starting with what we call the great tribulation. So I believe that it's here at this particular event that now we prepare for the great tribulation. If the first part of the tribulation, which is bad, is this bad? Imagine what the great tribulation will be. Okay. So these inhabitants of the earth are expecting even worse things to come. All right, guys, it's awful. You know, thanks for joining me on that, but can I take a moment, do a little practical talking to you? Do you really know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Is your heart right with God? Are you truly looking to Jesus, trying to serve Jesus? not just in church, not just deceiving yourselves, because the Bible says that you can sometimes deceive yourself. But do you truly have a right relationship with Jesus? Remember, Jesus said this, many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, they're going to call unto me. And I will say unto them, I never knew you. Is, will Jesus say that to you? Or do you know in your heart of hearts, in the deepest part of your mind. The Lord is my savior. I know the Lord because the Lord knows me. This will be a good time before all of these events take place. Come to Jesus. Yes, yes, notice you can come to Jesus after the church is raptured, but look look at the price that you'll, you'll most likely pay. You pay for it with your life just to be saved. It's already bad enough. Things are already difficult enough for the saints. And it's getting worse. And we're going to see it uh, progressively get worse in our time. But it's not going to be this bad. Come to Jesus now. While things aren't falling all apart. So that whenever the Lord does appear in what we call the rapture of the church. When the Bible says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout voice of an archangel and the trump of God. When Jesus comes and takes us out of here, that's why the Bible says, blessed are those who have been taken out of here that we don't have to experience the wrath of God. That's what Paul was talking about. But anyway, guys, thanks for joining me on that one. Looking forward to talking to you about Revelation chapter 7 as we answer the question, who is able to survive the tribulation?
See you next time. Have you subscribed yet?